Yeah, how many of you ever experienced a major loss or setback or tragedy of someone close to you in your life? Probably all of us, at some level, we've experienced that. And if you haven't, you, you will. I mean, it's kind of one of those guarantees in life that we know is, is coming. And we all handle those situations differently. Uh, I don't know if you've been to a funeral, but at, at a funeral, you can actually like have part of the family's like laughing and, and parts crying. And it's, it's this like weird mix of emotions that's all kind of pouring out because you're remembering you know, the person's life and some funny things they did, and you're also feeling the pain of loss. And so you, you have these times of, of mourning, but it sometimes comes out in weird ways when you're mourning and, and going through loss and grief. And it's hard to identify, like, oh, this is exactly how you should handle it. Um, but what about, um, we, we can identify loss easily when it comes to an individual, like a personal loss of someone we know and love. That, that's kind of easy to identify. But what about on a larger scale, like as a corporation or a state or a country? We don't always have like a direct loss, but yet we also still have feelings when there's major things that happen to those things we care about. Sometimes like sadness and pain and hurt. Um, on our trip to Texas recently, um, we were flying with a, a certain company, and as a customer, even just reading about the loss of this company's leader, I, I felt like mourning and sadness for what they had experienced. Um, so we basically exclusively fly Southwest. There are times we get stuck on other airlines, but that's what we choose, basically because of their customer service and the free bag. So when you're traveling with six of us, you start adding up bag costs, and it's like it's a, buying a whole extra ticket or more if we all travel with a bag. So that, that's huge for us. And recently, their former CEO and president, Herb Keller, passed away. And, uh, and he said this. I just want to give you a few quotes that he, he had uh, about the people they hire. He said this, we hire great attitudes, and we teach them any functionality that they need. Another one was, your people come first. Someone just got a sports center update. Your people come first. And if you treat them right, they'll treat your customers right. And one more, he said, what we are looking for first and foremost is a good sense of humor. And that kind of explains their good customer service. And here's the magazine. I took it home with me. Um, my kids thought I was stealing. Um, and I'm like, no, they put these in here. You could take them. But so this magazine was in every plane and in every seat of the, that they had for three months. Um, and that's, that's him there. And so that was a company in mourning, Right. They were, they were sad over the loss of a beloved leader, and they documented his life and kind of told things about him and the love he had for the people of Southwest, the love he had for the customers, um, and people he never even met. The guy would go to like visit hospitals of people sometimes, of, of, of workers' families, just to show up and be supportive, and, and he was this beloved figure they had. So we can feel loss and empathy for people and mourn over the loss of people that we never even met just through this connection we have with them of seeing what they've done in life. And some of the things, uh, biblically, they would have been mourned over lots of different things. And some of those things are similar to things we might mourn over today. Uh, people would mourn over the death of a close leader or important person. Um, we have da National Days of Mourning when a leader dies. Recently, if you remember when uh, former President George H.W. Bush passed away, we had a National Day of Mourning for him. Another common one, biblically, that probably should be more common for us that isn't, is a mourning over sin. When there was this realization would come of how far we dr they had drifted from the Lord and how far they'd fallen away from him. Maybe a time of mourning and repentance and coming back to him. Um, we, don't, we don't mourn much over sin. Perhaps we should, but we don't see that kind of as a large-scale mourning over sin and where we've come. Also, much like us, they would mourn over national calamities. 
And I don't know about you guys, but you can probably some of your most distinct memories for those of you that are older, um, you're going to be able to recognize some of these. Um, but for those of you that maybe are a little younger, you can maybe think back to your parents or grandparents. Some of the most distinct memories they had where they can tell you like where they were, what they were doing, were those moments of national calamity. Like if you've talked to an older person um, before that generation is passing away, they remember where they were when Pearl Harbor happened and where they heard the news. Like what was going on years and years later. They remember where they were. I remember talking to my grandma when JFK was shot. Like it's just a distinct like etched in your brain. Or when 9-11 happened. Like you, you remember where you were at when you heard that news the first time. What you were doing. Um, we had no, most of us, I'm not saying all of us, but most of us had no direct ties to those events. And yet there was still this sadness and emotions were carried into it. And we had sorrow and sadness over them. And this appears to kind of be the situation Daniel's in right now, as we're going to start in Daniel 10, where he's in mourning over his people. So if you want to join me in Daniel chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to find Daniel is in mourning for his nation, for his people. And let's pick it up in 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of, his vis- of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all with oil for three full weeks. And that would have been with oil. Uh, so we find Daniel's in mourning here. And this vision here occurs three years after uh, chapter 9. Uh, under the reign of Cyrus, and we see Daniel's reference by both his Hebrew and Babylonian name, and we read he's in mourning. So what was he in mourning about? And there's two possible thoughts here, but they both kind of come back to the same thing. He's sad for the state of his nation, for the people of his country, for either what's going to happen to them or what is currently happening to them, depending on kind of people's look at that. Um, So he's possibly mourning about what he just learned in previous chapters about the ultimate desolation of Israel that's coming. And he may be kind of like in mourning thinking like, oh my goodness, this, what is going to happen to my people, my country, the ones I care so deeply for? And he's in mourning for that. Another possibility is he's mourning what's going on currently uh, with the Jewish people. Uh, Under Cyrus, the Jewish exiles had been allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild. It's the first time in 70 years, basically, they've been allowed to return to their homeland to rebuild their walls and their temple and reestablish like the Jewish culture in their area. And so one commentator speculates that Daniel was in mourning basically over the lack of people taking him up on this offer and the struggle to rebuild their walls and their temple and what's going on. But Daniel's in mourning for his people. He's hurting for his country. Um, He's been to Babylon the majority of his life. He's probably been there around 70 years. And after this time, he's allowed to, people are allowed to go back. And not many people are doing this. And to have hope again of this return, um, I don't know that we can fully grasp how, how that would have impacted him. For their, their culture and their community, so much was tied to the temple and worship and then community structure. And to have that hope that people were going to get a chance to be free again and no, not many people are going to take him up on it. And there's also this struggle going on. So Daniel's in mourning and in part of that mourning, he's fasting. And it says he fasts from choice food and wine and the use of oil. So a strict fast, if we understand it, it would have been abstaining from all food and drink. 
So where he just basically, nothing was entering his body. And this time it says um, he's doing it from choice foods. This was probably a reference to the royal fare he'd been accustomed. If you follow the life of Daniel, as we talked, especially in those early chapters, the narrative, Daniel rose to a position of prominence fairly early into his captivity. So Daniel, for a great majority of his life, has kind of lived in, in, the, in the royal standard. And he's got used to that royal fare. Um, how many of you have ever been on a cruise? Lots of you guys have. I know you have. I've talked to you, okay? Lots of you have gone on cruises before. Some of you went to Alaska a few years ago. Uh, we like to go on cruises probably about every other year. Um, last time we were dumb enough to take our kids with us. Next time, kids are staying home. Um, so a few years ago, we actually went on a cruise. This was a miracle of all miracles as we talked Mitch into going on a cruise. And so him and Jenna joined us with Clayton and Jamie, and we had a good time. Well, one of the things we did, we never done at any of our other uh, cruises, we did specialty dining. We did four nights of specialty dining. Okay, and so we did the steakhouse, the Brazilian steakhouse, and Japanese food. And I know that's only three, and we did four nights. We did the steakhouse twice because it was so good. So we did four nights of this. Um, And after this great food of like this specialty dining, it was hard to go back and eat where the regular peasants were eating. (laughs) Like we got used to the good stuff. And now you can imagine maybe 70 years, Daniel's been used to the good stuff. And I would even think the, the, the difference was more extreme than standard fare and specialty dining fare on a cruise ship. I would think it was more drastic than that. Keep in mind, Daniel's an older man, and so change, a major change to his diet for three weeks, the impact that could have on him, if some of you make major change, it was also possible and, and probably likely, when we talk about the difference of giving up meat and some of the stuff he gave up, his, the choice foods, it was probably at this point, he's just eating enough to sustain him. Probably eating enough food and water to sustain him. It wasn't just like, well, I'm going to go from like five-star dining to eat McDonald's. The, the difference was probably a little more drastic. And so from what we know of the past and of what we see in the Bible, when people were in, in mourning and they were fasting, most likely he was also having a time of fervent prayer. And we're going to see that we can link some of this together and later the angels respond to him and understand he absolutely was having a time of prayer. And so we didn't just like today we fast for dietary reasons. They, that, that wasn't so common then. They, they were mainly, if they were fasting, it was asking and begging the Lord for something and, and thanking him. And so they were praying as well. And also Daniel did not anoint himself with oil during this time. And so that, that's, again, we don't do a lot of anointing with oil like as part of our daily routine. Maybe more now with essential oils and this resurgence of oils everywhere. Um, my wife uses them, not insulting them. I, I, she gets me to use them occasionally, but I'm just saying, uh, for a long period of time, that wasn't common in our culture, any use, uh, uses of oils, but historically it was common. And this was more like a way of like, we'd say to maybe better understand it, if you stop showering, if you stop taking care of your personal hygiene and personal cleanliness, it was a time where he was neglecting his appearance and it was not important at this point. There were things that were more important than himself, his appearance, his own comfort, his food. There was something that was a greater important in his life. So I got a question for us as we think about this just beginning in Daniel 10. Are we only concerned with ourselves? Are there things bigger than ourselves that we deeply care about? Things that cause us to mourn or grieve Unfortunately, culturally, it feels like our greatest moments of mourning are when our favorite sports team loses. Oftentimes, that's a greater national calamity and national mourning 
than major world events going on where people are dying and entering into eternity, either knowing the Lord or not knowing Him. We often grieve more over those kind of losses because we become so shallow and focused on ourselves and what brings us How joy you doing? and pleasure. Daniel's so we have Relay for Life was going on yesterday, and I went out there not for uh, his well-being, just to support for his the people there and what they're he was they're mourning doing over his people they interact with, with what they were and going I walked through. around the track um, and I find it interesting some of the raffles, um, the more we teach like, oh, okay, these so kind of quote-unquote truth to, to me there's a yeti cooler young people that are around the golf found in scripture the country club more problems so I was like there wasn't a lot of names in that and I'll just give you one of them I improved my odds I bought some tickets and put them in there but I also kind of have this self-esteem generation Mark Leahy it's like everyone don't expect to call Mark you're number one do what makes you happy everyone's a winner and, and yet no, in teaching all I'm, this I'm stuff and, and like really trying to get that into our kids uh, we find that okay. depression levels and suicide no, among anyway, young so people we got a lot of people out there uh, i know mike was and yet we for continue the to tell them but you're number one a lot of people the you're the best were you're there, great so you're a good guys. person just trying to serve and yet depression levels and suicide levels on the rise well biblically we're told the last shall be first we should be servants you don't always need to get what makes you happy. You don't always need, even need to pursue what makes you happy because that may not be fulfilling joy and also may be counter to what God's telling us. You know what it also strongly tells us is, no, you're not number one. There's only one number one and it's not you. But in that broken and messed up state, God loved you and intervened on your behalf. And so once we kind of come to accept these things that I'm not number one, there's something greater than me. It's not all about me. It's easier to humble ourselves and come to this point where we're concerned with how things impact others. When we see things happen to others, it's easier to be, have mourning, loss, feel empathy for them. I remember my first job in ministry where my, my pastor basically was very harsh to me and, I, and probably well-deserved at the time. And he said, you need to stop being so concerned with how this impacts you. You're only concerned with yourself in this situation. You talk about a bit of a wake-up call. They said, you need to see others around you and, and understand what they're going through. And we see Daniel's in mourning for his countrymen. He's hurting for his countrymen. The next thing we're going to see is Daniel's afraid. In, in chapter 10, verse 4, Daniel's in a situation where he finds himself afraid. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, uh, so in, in modern-day Iraq, I lifted up my eyes and, be, and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with, face to the, with my face to the ground. So Daniel's out by the banks of the Tigris, possibly seeking a quiet place to continue in prayer, and he has this vision. He has, sees this heavenly messenger or angel that comes to him. And the being is clearly very powerful looking. Um, it looks basically like it, what they're saying is he's sculpted from precious stone. And he glistens like polished bronze. And he has a voice that's kind of booming almost so much that it sounded like a choir was speaking. And, and, and we see Daniel... He's afraid, but Daniel's not a fearful man if we look historically at his life. Daniel wasn't this guy who was afraid of his own shadow. Daniel was willing to be thrown into the lion's den, so he's not a weakling. 
but what he saw was very fearful to him. And I think that's just good context for us to remember. It's not like, you know, a little kid who's scared of everything. This vision he had was something so great and powerful that it struck fear to him, a man who was courageous and known for his courage even. And Daniel's the only one out there who sees this vision. The people who were there flee and they leave Daniel all alone. We don't know exactly why they fled. We're told they couldn't see the vision. So they're not seeing what Daniel sees. So we don't know. Maybe they just got an alarming sensation that, that kind of made them want to leave. I don't know. Like if you watch Spider-Man, if their spidey senses were tingling, but something like happens that alarms them. And I, I don't know if you've ever had that where like something alarms you, like you can't pinpoint it. You don't, you didn't hear anything and you didn't see anything, but something just alarmed you and made you kind of wonder what's going on. What's going on in that other room or what's going on here? Or, what's going on with my, my kid? And, and you don't know. It's nothing you see or hear directly, but you're just alarmed. And that appears how it is. These people are alarmed and they get the heck out of there and they leave him by himself. So now we got Daniel's alone. He's scared. He's tired. He's hungry. His strength is gone. He's pale. He's helpless. And he falls basically down to his knees. I don't know if you've ever felt that way where you, you're, you're just completely helpless, where you're in a situation, there's not much you can do to get out of it. It's not a fun situation to be in. And this angelic being appears and begins speaking to Daniel and he falls down in this sleep or this trance. Um, and so I just, just a thought, where do we turn in those moments of our life of stress, of fear, of loneliness? When we have those moments where it seems everyone else around us has fled, all our friends have left us in the situation we're in and there's no one else around us, uh, what do we do? Do we fall before the Lord? Do we come before him? Or do we kind of pursue relief from those situations through substances or through bad relationships or one that's more common now, self-mutilation? You know, how do we pursue those things when we feel all alone, when we're stressed out, when we're fearful, when we're helpless? Do we take matters into our own hands? I just, I just had this conversation with my cousin the other day. He called me and we were talking about, um, you know, just things about when you're stressed out, when you're fatigued, how often we end up making bad decisions in those moments. Our natural self or our sinful self often seeks relief or answers to the situation we find ourselves in without going before the Lord. We, we kind of want to troubleshoot ourselves. Instead of going to the God who created us and made us and coming before him and asking for help, asking for rest, asking for relief from the stress, peace in the storm or for direction, a lot of times we go, we go to kind of this self-medicate, whatever that is for ourselves, instead of coming before the Lord and falling down before him. And so we see Daniel almost in a state of fear, but in the state he was in, falling, falling before the Lord or this angelic divine messenger he's having. And we're going to see that he was communicating to God. So the first two points kind of looked at the state Daniel was in, and the last two things we're going to look at the Lord's intervention on Daniel's behalf. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 10. The Lord heard Daniel's prayer. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, or man highly esteemed would be another version. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had heard, when he had spoken this to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your word. Or in other words, your prayers have been heard. 
The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. So this heavenly messenger has come to tell Daniel about his people and what's going to happen to them in the later days. Um, Maybe not necessarily the end times. Maybe just the message he's about to get in chapter 11 and 12. But he's got a message for Daniel's people about his end time. And he cares so deeply. We know Daniel cares deeply for his people because he was in mourning for fasting about them. But this ministering spirit comes to affirm Daniel what he's previously or, or what he already knows. And that's that the Lord heard him. So we're going to see that the Lord heard his prayers um, in, in a moment. But the first thing I kind of want to look at is this idea of, of maybe what makes us a little uncomfortable is this idea that there's unseen forces at work in the world. So we, we see this heavenly messenger is on the scene because of Daniel's words or prayers. The Lord heard his prayer and responded. But it's also interesting, there's things beyond Daniel's control that are at work in this world. There's unseen forces at war. It says the heavenly messenger declares himself he was delayed three weeks due to resistance from the prince of Persia. And some of this can make us a little uncomfortable because it's like, how, how much do we know about this? We, we don't know tons about it, but we do know there's unseen forces at work, that there's angels and demons and God and Satan. And at some level, we have to acknowledge this is happening in our world. And some of these things make us uncomfortable talking about demonic presence. But biblically, we see there's things waging war that are not of this world. We're even warned to prepare ourselves for that prepare ourselves with the armor of God to stand against such things. In Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, it says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. See, there's a battle being waged, and too often we're unaware of it. And our battles are not against people but ultimately against the devil and his desire to steal, kill, and destroy. His desire to seek souls condemned eternally in hell. We're not always fighting just the wars we see visibly in us. We're fighting against the deeper spiritual conflict. And at some level, we have to accept there's very little things we can do other than pray. Daniel couldn't necessarily change the course of history or alter the course of history, but he could pray for his people. He could mourn and fast for his people. You know, sometimes we're in situations where uh, there's stuff beyond our control and out of our realm that are at work. And all we can do in those situations, we can pray for God's intervention. We can pray for evil and sin to be defeated. We can pray for hearts to be changed. Daniel's been praying and God heard his prayer. Um, We see references of of these evil angels or or demons in the Bible where they were cast out. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 4 references one. It says, for if God did not spare spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Uh, Jude uh, verse 6 says this, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. There are dark forces at work of the world. And it appears that whatever was happening, there was interference being run on this heavenly messenger that was coming to Daniel. Uh, an evil angel on behalf of the prince of Persia. And there was such an encounter that he was delayed three weeks. And he said he basically needed the help of Michael. Now, so, some of this is not all biblical. Um, 
it's, it's not not biblical, but some of the references are extra biblical is what I'll say. Um, uh, so we know this, that, that Michael was an archangel or a hev- the highest, basically the highest order of angel. And he was kind of the heavenly protector in a sense. Like there, there was no, no angel higher than Michael. And so he needed the help of the highest angel to come and protect him or to come and win, help win this battle. And we don't exactly know, you know, we don't know how that was fought. I mean, it's come in these mysteries. We, we have visuals of them today. People have kind of made these movies with lots of visualization and things, but we don't know exactly how that conflict occurred. We just know he was delayed three weeks in coming to Daniel by spiritual forces. And he needed a, a help from a greater spiritual being to defeat him. And so the messenger finally comes and communicates with Daniel. And, and so th- there was multiple things in this, and, and I feel, I hope I'm not jumping too much. But in, this, uh, in, the, in the verse, there was also this concept of it said, came to Daniel and said, you're a man who's highly esteemed and highly loved. And I feel like I wanted to counter this because I, I referenced it at the beginning. Um, in verse 11, we saw Daniel said he's highly esteemed, highly loved. Um, but what's the difference between man's self-esteem and God's esteem? or man's love and God's love, because I referenced that earlier. Sometimes we tell ourselves we're number one, we're important, you know, if the world revolves around you, nothing else is greater than you. And yet, um, we kind of poo-poo that idea, but then we see God comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, you're a man highly esteemed, highly loved. I'm going to try to give a, a different... Um, quickly and give a brief overview. So with man's esteem or love, it, it's often something we feel we have to strive for or earn or work to achieve. Um, that, that's tried to be taught differently with the advent of humanism and as it's become started like in the 1500s and then it's kind of grown into really a modern philosophy that's taught today. And that, that's basically the idea is this, is that you, you are good on your own. In the current state you're in, you're, you're a great swell individual, okay? Um, we're all in a sense good people. The problem with this thinking is most of us at our core, we start to add things up and line things up and it's like, well, I know that's not true. I know the wickedness I've done. I know the wicked thoughts I've had. Something's not adding up. How am I considered a good person if I still struggle with this kind of evil, this kind of wickedness, this kind of evil thoughts? And so it kind of ends up in this like revolving guilt-based situation where we have to like strive to achieve what we're supposed to be, which is good. So I'm supposed to be good because I'm told I'm a good person. So it's just like striving to earn or achieve or to be good, to prove my worth and to prove I'm good. And we get kind of locked in that cycle in a sense trying to prove the goodness of humanity because we're told all, all humans are good. Reverse that is, God loves us at our lowest of lows when we can't fall any further when we're in our most wretched state, he still cared for us. There's this acknowledgement biblically that you're not number one. Not only are you not number one, you're sinful and jacked up. You're messed up people. But in that messed up state, you're still highly esteemed or highly loved because of who God is and what he did. In 1 John 4, we learned that God intervened for us. He loved us and sent his son. So when we start thinking this way about when it says Daniel's esteemed, Um, we're esteemed or loved because of who God is, not because of who we are or the person I am. And so the two don't correlate. My striving to achieve it doesn't equate to God's love. We're loved because of who he is, not because of who we are. And so as we kind of look at that, uh, again, that was a little hodgepodge. I hope you followed. That was a little disjointed. I even felt writing it, but there was just a lot in there that kind of caught me. But I wanted to ask you this. Are you confident the Lord hears your prayers? We looked at 
the angel came on the scene because of, he was basically said, I heard your prayers. The Lord heard your prayers, Daniel. Do we truly believe that when we pray, God hears us? Or do we just think it's sound waves bouncing off the ceiling? Like I'm talking in here, you could go stand down the street and you're probably not hearing me. The sound waves have been blocked and shut in. Is that our view of God? Is that he's not hearing our prayers? He doesn't know what's going on? Daniel had been waiting three weeks for a response. You know what, some of you in here, if you're honest, you've been waiting a lot longer than three weeks for a response probably to certain prayers you're praying. Maybe you're praying for a loved one. Maybe someone to come to know the Lord. A situation someone's in, a job for someone. Um, Some of us have been praying maybe for years for certain family members we know. And and maybe there's times it just feels like God isn't hearing us. Well, we can be confident that the Lord hears us. Daniel had been waiting three weeks and the Lord comes to him. And we, we don't always know. We don't always know what the delay in response is, but we know the Lord hears us. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that, that we have what we ask of him. So we ask things according to his will and we're confident he hears us. Another thing we can know is that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? We celebrated that last week, his death and resurrection. But it goes beyond that and where he's at now. Who is at the right hand of God, who, is, who indeed is interceding for us. So we have an advocate, someone who is on the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf praying on our behalf, communicating with God on behalf of you. He didn't just die and and rise just to kind of sit in glory, um, which he is, he's in glory, but he is still intimately at work with his people, interceding on our behalf. So we keep praying, we trust that the Lord hears us. He may not intervene how we desire. I mean, we gotta, not every situation is resolved how we desire. He's, he's working uh, 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 in, in his own way, his own timing, and we don't always understand that, but we can be confident that he hears us when we pray. That's not just sound waves echoing off the ceiling and continue praying, trusting that God's at work in that situation. And the last thing we see is the Lord gives Daniel strength. Daniel 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and I spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved or highly esteemed again, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I'll return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except Michael, your prince. And 11.1 is where we'll close. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So we're going to see Daniel's strength here. The angel confirms that Michael fights with him. This archangel Michael fights with him and on his behalf. And yet there's more battles to come. 
And in these verses, Daniel is again, he's kind of reaffirmed that he's highly loved or esteemed by God. And throughout all these verses, what we see is we see this angel kind of strengthening Daniel on behalf of God. We saw that at one point, uh, Daniel falls completely to the ground, put completely over, and the angel gives him the strength to stand. He pulls him back up to his knees. Then he basically says, how am I even going to speak with what I've seen and what's happened to me? How can I even speak? And he's given the strength to to speak or to communicate. And then the last thing we're going to see is he's given the strength to not fear. Daniel is told to be strong and have courage. He, he's encouraged to be strong and supernaturally he's given strength. And this isn't like Samson. Uh, a lot of times we think strength, we just think physical strength, but more of a strength of having the courage to do what needs to be done. Uh, culturally, um, we use the word strong after tragic events. That's become kind of a, a more modern thing. And some that came to mind quickly, just some recent events that have happened, um, were, was the idea of Boston strong or Vegas strong. You may have seen different things like that. And those events were born out of tragedy. Um, the Boston bombing that happened on the, at the Boston Marathon on Patriots Day, if you remember a few years ago um, when that happened. <clears throat> and then out of that, the, the phrase Boston strong became common. Um, in Las Vegas, where uh, the, I, I believe it was the worst mass shooting in the history of America at the Jason Aldean concert, where the guy opened fire from the hotel down on all those people. And then out of that, uh, we, we had the saying, Vegas strong. Um, this, this is kind of like saying evil will not prevail. You know, we as whatever the identified group of people are, are strong. It's not necessarily this reference to physical strength as much as inner strength in that situation. We're not going to quit. We're not going to be weak. We're not going to continue living in fear. We're going to be bold and courageous. And this is the message being relayed to Daniel right now, is don't be afraid. Don't be weak by what you've seen. Don't be afraid by what's to come. Be strong, be bold, be courageous. God hears your prayers. You're a man highly esteemed. God loves you and cares about you greatly. Don't don't be weak in the situation you're in. So do we have the courage to do what we need to do knowing that the Lord will give us strength? Now we have multiple examples throughout scripture of this. The Lord wants us to be strong and courageous for him. Uh, The Lord told Joshua in Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, often we think of physical strength as this great form of strength to be attained and to be desired. But I'd say there's a much greater level of strength that people display and people can have. The strength to do what needs to be done, the strength to live for the Lord, a strength to stand in the face of evil and do what is right when no one else will. Um, and and I, I, again, I, I love sports. So this is not to bash on it. Sometimes I sound like I, I dislike them as much as I like them. But I, I find it amusing sometimes. Often the, the most physical and strong athletes um, are, are oftentimes, when we look at it in this regard, as strength being inner strength to stand up to what's right, are oftentimes in situations the weakest people. See, they can, they can lift weights and you could get yourself physically strong and you could do things that make you even mentally strong, study videotape and things, but you put them in a situation where their friends are all going one way and pushing them to do this one thing or get involved with this, they oftentimes, when it comes to strength, like inner strength, the strength God's talking about here with Daniel, what he's talking about with Joshua, they can oftentimes be the weakest people in the room. Sometimes it's the quiet person, 
Sometimes it's the person you would never think of. It's that one who has that inner strength to stand up for what's right or to stand up for, um, in situations for other people. Strength is not based on what we bench press. Boy, if that was the case, most of us in this room are hopeless. <laughs> but what about this inner strength to do what's right, to live for the Lord? You know, the supernatural strength that comes from Him to do what's right in situations. Paul talks about it. He tells us, though, in, in our moment of weakness that Christ is the one who's going to make us strong. And he said this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I, am strength, when I am weak, then I am strong. So where do you need to be strong in how you live for the Lord? Now, we, we all want to physically, to some level, be strong. But where do you need to have that inner strength to live for the Lord and in your weakness, trust Him to make you strong at your job, at, at your school, at your home? Where do you need to be the one who's courageous to stand up and live for Him? And say, in this situation, I'm going to choose to live for the Lord. Daniel, throughout this book, if you read it, he, he, he was strong. And yet there are times when he, he admits, he's like, I was weakness. I fell before you. All my strength is gone. And he needs the Lord to be his strength in those moments. And there's those times for us in our life where all, it seems like all our strength is, is vanquished. We've, we've poured it out, whether it was for work or for our family. But we are just spent. And we have nothing else. And yet in those moments we could echo like Daniel did and basically falling before the Lord and, and just, I have nothing left. You've got to be the one who lifts me up. Or as Paul said it, in my weakness, then I am strong. Of coming before him, trusting he hears us, trusting he'll intervene. And coming before him saying, man, I need help to be strong in this situation, to live for you. So do we trust that the Lord will strengthen us as we continue to live for him? Are we striving to live for him and coming before him with our weaknesses, asking him to make us strong in those situations? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for the example he was of, of a man who was strong. He was strong in his society as we, we've seen it repeatedly. And yet there are moments he comes broken and weak and tired and he has to just rely on you for his strength. Um, Lord, help us to get to those points where when we reach the end of ourselves, we know there's nothing we can do but come to you. Um, that you are at work. You're at work both in this world and in, in a world, this spiritual world, we can't even see. But we understand you're at work there as well. Um, Lord, I... I just I pray alongside of our people. I, I know there's people in here who've been praying for things. They've been praying for salvation of people they care about. Um, they've been praying about family situations going on. There, there are people who are hurting and continuing to pray. And sometimes we don't always know why the delay, what's going on. Um, we, just, we just trust that you're at work still. And I just pray that they'll be strengthened and encouraged by the thought that we find Daniel even praying for a length of time. And when this angel comes to him and says, I was delayed because there was this evil thing I was at war with. Um, 
So Lord, we just, we just pray alongside of them, those that have been offering up prayers for a long time, give them the, the strength to continue praying, to continue trusting that you hear them. In Jesus' name, amen.